This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, Mean Girls and Toxic Friends. Why friendship conflicts are important in speculative fiction. Ah, mean girls. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I mean, okay, we're kind of picking on picking on the girl thing here, but I think it it makes quite a good example. So yeah. I'll go into the reasons why this 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 episode is my fault, um, largely because I've watched a lot of slightly older films recently. And I've noticed something in them that is actually a useful narrative thread or a narrative tool, which seems to be missing from some of the stuff that's coming out now. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we could put it down to me being a bit of an old fogey now and saying, <laughs> oh, films aren't like they were in my day kind of thing. <laughs> or, or it could be that things have swung slightly too far in one direction and maybe we need to head a bit more back to back to the center i'm not saying definitely right or left here i'm just saying you know there are value there's value in lots of things so yeah absolutely and i think the thing is i think the moment people say the mean girl and the and and we're gonna go into it a little bit more in a second but you know sort of the girl on girl hate and things like that is it's always seen in in a very negative light rather than being considered in a nuanced way so i feel like this episode is very important yeah, I think it's definitely time for a nuanced conversation. Um, friendship isn't a passive thing. It's something you have to work at. It's even with someone that you meet for the very first time, either online or in person, and you you know, you know, click immediately and you seem to be really on the same page. At some point, you are going to disagree on something and maybe even have a falling out. So it is something that absolutely needs effort and time put into it, like any relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So this, yeah, this whole idea of girls disagreeing, girls having petty jealousies or enmities or annoyances with each other, always being girl-on-girl hate, I think is actually more toxic than the actual girl-on-girl hate trope. Yeah. And I think the, the issue is I do actually hate the girl-on-girl hate um, hate trope Um when I do see it, when I do see examples of it, and it, it and it is when it's just oh well, there's limited amount of sort of girls on this team, and they automatic they must hate each other in order to create some kind of you know drama or something like that, and that that gets to me a little bit because it it happens or it used to happen so often, but there is a fine line between it being the very lazy girl on girl hate trope because we need drama and the no we have two characters here who are opposing in their sort of lifestyles views you know situations etc um who don't necessarily will get along straight away um and there's a big difference um one is actually about nuanced character and character you know development and things like that and the other is lazy writing definitely uh, so we're not saying obviously that there aren't tensions in male male friendships or male female friendships or LGBTQ plus friendships, which again is almost enough that they're all almost completely separate things. We are 
taking female-female friendships in this context simply because this seems to be the point at which something is always derided or called toxic without a thorough examination. It always seems to be um, the women first thing that's kind of, yeah, this is bad, this needs to be cancelled. Mm-hmm. And it nearly always starts at the teenage girl level. Not say teenagers are doing it, but people come in and say, no, we, we've got to stop feeding this to teenagers type thing mm. without examining whether there's any value in it. And and that's the same for anything, whether, whether we're looking at escapist fantasy romance or, or what have you. So yeah. um, this, this is where we're starting. You can probably apply a lot of this to the other types of friendship. Um, but if we followed all of them, as our inclination <laughs> dictates, then this episode would be about three hours long. And yeah. we don't have time for that today. No. <laughs> so um, aside from the fact that you know, a story where friends are always together and always besties and there's never any conflict, just being blatantly false and a bit flat in storytelling terms. Um, it, it's really important, especially for sort of teen fiction, to have something that reflects back to you how to set healthy boundaries in your relationships. Yes. And something science fiction and fantasy does really well is sort of holds things up in a way that is generally non-judgmental and doesn't tell you which one you need to choose but just lets you compare things from a little bit of distance. Yeah. Um, so I would hate to see that actually disappear, particularly out of sort of teen fiction. Yeah. And again, I've got to stress, this is the difference between lazy writing and conscientious writing. Um, yeah. And there is a difference. Um, this situation can be used for the better or it can be used sort of poorly. Um, and it's just about being able to identify which is which yeah so we're not really going to be talking about girl on girl hate per se today mm. try saying that per se mm. today per se today uh, <laughs> per se today we're not really going to be talking about that too much today but we do need to start there in yeah. order to progress so a brief recap as to what exactly girl on girl hate really is in narrative terms mm-hmm. um so basically it's generally two or more humans being shitty to each other as humans do it's not limited to women. Everybody does this. So the reason it's sort of called girl on girl hate is because of the status it's gained in narrative terms. Mm. Um, and it's because of the particular flavour of this type of... It's not even really conflict. It's it's outright aggression and hostility um, that is amongst women and girls. Um, but in narrative terms, it depicts characters competing against each other in a quite negative light usually for male attention and generally tearing each other down on the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Another thing to sort of note is that often the sort of the girl on girl hate and stuff like that, and again, not limited to only girls, um, this isn't a uh, necessarily going to be a um, one person and their rival kind of thing. Often when it is framed, it's framed as in two people who are meant to be on, and I say in inverted commas, the same side, as it were. So it's not right, we're enemies. Um, They might be sort of petty enemies, as it were, but they they tend to be on the same side or part of the same friendship group. Yeah, definitely. I can't stress this enough, but this this trope is not new. Hmm. If you read any of Jane Austen's novels, somewhere in there you will have the examples of this girl on girl hate competing for male attention thing. Yeah. And she is actually quite 
you know, she's she's clearly drawing it out as this is a bad thing in her books, which, you know, this is over 200 years ago. So, you know, she knew the score back then. Yeah. And even then, you can say, well, OK, but women made their careers via marriage. So there was actually a legitimate reason to be competing against each other, even if there wasn't a legitimate reason to be tearing each other down. Yeah. It's not quite the same now. Um, obviously and you know you you find it in things like um middlemarch and the mill on the floss by george Eliot. Mm-hmm. you find it in a lot of the brontes books yeah uh, i have to say if you read charlotte brontes work uh she doesn't necessarily portray the girl on girl hate in a negative manner because she really sort of pushes forward this this idea of not like the other girls and i don't think it's something she even realizes that she's done i don't think it was a conscious thing no. And also, obviously, it's quite useless to take a 19th century novel and apply 21st century values to it. Um, but it, I think it's interesting. And if we go back even further, you'll find examples of it in Chaucer, in Shakespeare. It appears in fairy tales, folklore, myths and legends as far back as we have such things. So this isn't this isn't a new thing. No, absolutely not. Um yeah, with with sort of fairy tales and stuff like that, often as well. There's the they're often sisters as well. <laughs> they're often sisters, or it's a stepmother and daughter, or sometimes even a mother and daughter. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, when we talk about girl and girl hate, um, it can actually sort of be any kind of relationship, really. I say any kind of relationship. You know what I mean? Um, between people of different ages, genders, etc. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a very, very established thing. Um, Essentially, (laughs) as we've said, it's not a good trope if it's not used to explore the wider issue. Yeah. Authors are guilty of using it as lazy shorthand to indicate that their main character is not like the other girls. Um, In that respect, it is potentially a harmful trope because so many of us have internalised this message without actually challenging it. And it puts forward this idea, particularly in young readers, um, that femininity usually is something derivative is something to sort of be mocked it's something that's lesser um, and that liking certain things is lesser and that behaving in certain ways is lesser um, and ultimately that is not a good message to put forward at all no no it's really not and it's it's such a weird convolution isn't it so say you were like me and you grew up genuinely being a real tomboy and not being interested in the more sort of pink-brained girly stuff and pink brain girly stuff is not a bad thing, by the way. Mm. There is nothing wrong with anybody who is drawn to that. I wasn't, and as I said, I internalised the message that I wasn't girling correctly, and therefore wasn't human incorrectly. So in defence of that, I was quite derisive of all the stuff I wasn't interested in. And fiction like this, the, the stuff we're talking about, kind of propped that up. At the same time, that's an incredibly restrictive box to put yourself in, because once again you're saying it's it's nearly always to please a male character. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is you're not like the other girls. You're naturally pretty. You don't have to go to lots of effort to look really attractive. Yeah. And I like the fact that you're low maintenance and you don't seem to have any desires of your own kind of thing. And that, that's, that's just as bad as sort of like being 
very, very demanding in order to try and find your, your own space in the world. I mean, there, there's a middle ground. There's a lot of middle ground between those two estates. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one for me in particular is also the fact that it's a completely... Often it results in narratives which are completely unlikely. Um, and and I'll put forward, like, this is what life should be. Like, for instance, the one that always gets me is that you're not like the other girls. Look at you. You enjoy eating a good meal. Like, you enjoy eating out and stuff like that. You're not like the other girls who are always watching their weight and stuff like that. But the character is themselves always incredibly thin regardless or very slight you know they're not you know it's not right well i eat lots because i'm a swimmer and therefore i i'm i've got a a, you know a strong back or things like that no they're always a very particular type of body type which is the the actress for instance has clearly been had to be um dieting very very carefully Um, but in the shot they're seen eating chicken wings and stuff like that and that always gets me a lot yeah i mean and no, that that's another perpetuation of the whole not like other girls and mm. linked to the girl on girl hate thing. Absolutely. As in, you know, you don't have to. Let's be very clear here. There is absolutely nothing wrong with thinking I only need to eat X amount of calories. And within that, I can eat whatever I like a day. Yeah. That That's not dieting. That's just, you know what? I don't need any more than that. There's also nothing more with going, I like to carry a little bit more weight than that. I'm going to eat slightly more, but I'm also going to be relatively healthy. Um, where, where it's a problem, as Madeline has rightly said, is when we're perpetually being shown, yeah, you can eat whatever you want. You can eat you know, monster amounts and keep up with the school, the high school football heroes diet, which is going to be probably very calorific. And yet you're a skinny little thing, but you're not an athlete. Or if you are an athlete, you're never muscular. So yeah. this is this is where it gets quite ridiculous. Yeah, it's incredibly unrealistic. It's this unrealistic expectation. And this causes... And again, I'm not saying this is also limited to female characters. It's not. But this, particularly in YA fiction, causes, you know, issues with body image and things like that. Um, And it's like tightening a corset around somebody. (laughs) Or just trapping them. Uh, And... It's not healthy. And this is when that that sort of that girl on girl hate trope is actually very, very harmful. Yeah. It's not to say that there aren't people out there who can, for certain periods of their life, eat anything and eat like, you know, like animals. Yeah. Like a pack of wolves in in themselves and yet still stay very, very skinny. But usually they haven't finished growing yet. They haven't finished developing. So, you know, that that energy is going somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, it's not it's not a state that generally stays with them for their entire life. So if you're flashing forward ten years, and they're still eating like that, they're probably not going to be skinny little things anymore. No, because and that's I, physics. <laughs> and I think the other thing is that the idea that that is to be applauded just because it happens to be a genetic thing, and anyone who actually has to put an effort into it is not to be applauded. Um, yeah. or as to be seen as the mean girl, or, or something like that, or to be depicted as that is is worrying it's it's a bit dangerous definitely so bringing us back back in a little bit because we could get very ranty and rambly here i think both of us could (laughs) um it's it's the way that this girl on girl hate trope was portrayed during fiction i mean there wasn't much young adult fiction in the 80s really that was dedicated young adult fiction but Mm. late 80s 90s uh the noughties where 
it was something to be applauded as in you should be aiming to be not like the other girls you should be aiming to be this unique person Hmm. obviously we are all unique people we're not all the same yeah um but someone who is a bit out a bit of an outsider just waiting for the right male love interest to come along kind of thing and it was a big trope and it was it was portrayed as aspirational yeah and i think that is the problem because it wasn't nuanced and it wasn't looking at you know is this likely um am i putting out a character there who is someone who is a potential role model who no one can actually aspire to yeah absolutely. so i mean the ones that you know have endurance and you know her hunger games is not set in a school but you have Katniss who, you know, Peter thinks she's attractive and Gail thinks she's attractive. And when she's like had about six hours of makeup and stuff, the rest of Pan M thinks she's attractive. But the rest of the time, people are kind of like, yeah, you're a bit small, a bit skinny and a bit average, aren't you? As in wouldn't recognise you outside of makeup. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, obviously separate thing to Mean Girls, etc. But um, anyway, so... Before we get too far off track with the not like the other girl syndrome, because we have thoroughly canvassed it before, and I'm sure we'll come back again at some point, mm-hmm. um, we should move on. But the last thing I will say is that the girl on girl hate thing quite often gets linked with things like um, how sexually active a teenage girl is. Yeah. And uh, purity equals virginity, and, you know, what a, <laughs> what a male character wants most. And all those things are really, really toxic. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I remember reading one book. I think it's called I uh, called Love You to Death, and it was one of the uh, I want to say teen track horror books. Like I said, we didn't have an awful lot of so- <laughs> a, a lot of sort of horror uh, teen stuff, but it was basically the main character was naturally very pretty, um, and she was trying to get in with the popular crowd but the the main the queen bee was really really unpleasant etc and both the main character and this queen bee person were kind of into the same boy and he really only liked the the main character but at one point you actually get this aside where you're in his head and he was talking about the queen bee and she's kind of like she was so unlike whatever her name was the girl he was into mm-hmm. and the fact that he's looking at her and she's overdressed she's got too much makeup on she's throwing her body around like an alley cat clearly she didn't bother waiting kind of thing and i, I remember at the time thinking oh that's a bit harsh <laughs> you know? yeah even at 16 i was kind of like hmm, okay i've just come out of catholic school and even <laughs> i think that's a bit slut shamey <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, it's it's not a good narrative to put forward, particularly to young minds. No. Okay, so let's talk about Mean Girls. Is it actually a worthless trope? Yeah, um, and this is where we're doing the bulk of our discussion. Basically, if you look at this from, well, you know, we're going to look at it from the teenager angle because anything we do from here you can then build on. Mm-hmm. Um, being a teenage girl or boy, etc. Or person. Or person. A teen being a teen <laughs> is about learning to own, utilize, and not misuse your own power. Mm. And this doesn't have to be magical power. <laughs> this just genu- genuinely has to be the power you have to affect the world around you and the people around you. Mm. Um I would say 
certainly especially being a teenage girl is about experimenting with power for an awful lot of, of cisgendered teenage girls yeah no i i tend to agree with you um and as part of that things can get ugly um <laughs> they can get very ugly <laughs> yeah we can um going back to going back to my convent school years <laughs> do you know i used to hate it when people said you know i was still at school I mean, a horrible thick woolly kilt and the woolly knee socks and the green blazer etc my school uniform sucked um <laughs> and people are kind of like yeah oh you shouldn't complain it's the best years of your life and i'm like what am i fucking bothering for that oh, seriously exactly yeah I remember everyone everyone used to say that. This is like, oh, these are the best years of your life. And I used to just think, then I really if this is if this is meant to be the best years of my life, like I might as well die. There, there, there's there's no point going on. This is this is awful. <laughs> and then I remember the first time I ever met someone, um, and it was it was quite interesting because it was a lot of male men in my life said these are the best years of your life. And then um, I met a woman and she said, oh, no, no, no. Um, these are the best years of my life that, you know, that she's living now. You know, this is this is a woman. She's in her 40s going into her 50s. Um, she was she was like, yeah, these this is the best years of my life. Absolutely. Um, school was awful. And I was like, oh, there's hope. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, could, I think I could have done with that, to be honest. But I... I wouldn't say I was like horribly bullied through secondary school or anything. I wasn't. I but I was somebody who would have been a target if I'd been slightly less dangerous. Mm. And I don't mean physically dangerous, as in people who tried learned very quickly that I was willing to really hit below the belt when it came to insults. Yeah. Um, and there's a good reason for that in the sense of being. I, I went to school with a lot of girls whose families were astronomically more wealthy than me. Hmm for a start um and i'm not saying that they were more entitled or anything like that it, it, that's not how it was um but at the same time they came from this sort of place of self-assurance that i just you just don't have if you have if you grew up without as much money i think mm. and it's something i've noticed since then and um yeah some some of them were just nasty just generally I think they were nasty because they were teenage girls, and teenage girls can be very nasty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not because the, the, they were nasty people and there was no redemption. And yeah. it was just a case of, no, I'd been really badly bullied at primary school, and I got to the stage where I I was like, no, no, one's, no one is ever going to kick my head into the tarmac and call me a mick again, mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. um, so there was all that behind it, but there was a case of, okay, I'm also quite bright, and very good at observing people's weaknesses so i would go straight for that mm. and so i would go straight for the yeah that's going to really really hurt and you will leave me alone because you won't want me to do that again yeah you won't yeah. want me to say it again you certainly won't want me to say it again where everyone else can hear and laugh at you so i didn't get picked on like that at secondary school but you know it, it was going on all around me all the time as well mm. and it's that's what you get when you've got 500 odd girls all jockeying for position together and you're giving them very restricted worldviews. yeah absolutely um and i think in particular because it was it was an all-girls school wasn't it yes yeah that i don't think that helps 
Um, I was in a a mixed. I went to a mixed school. I've always went to mixed schools because my my parents always sent me to the same school as my brother so that we could be together. Um, and I was not good in school. I was not good in school for a number of different reasons, um, mostly because I just didn't fit in. The way that I was developing was not on par with the way that a lot of other girls were developing. One thing I noted, for instance, was that I tended to go through trends and things like that a few years before other people. So I'm not saying, oh, I was more mature. Um, in some respects, I was. Um, in other respects, I was much more immature. Um, just because of the way that sort of my development had worked. But I remember, for instance, suddenly getting really into makeup and wearing quite a lot of it, um, a lot of foundation, for instance, uh, around the time when I was about sort of 11 years old and wearing a lot of it and then being mocked mercilessly for it. And then I got into secondary school when I was 14 and suddenly all of the girls were doing the exact same style, the exact same thing that I had been doing. Um, and then I was mercilessly mocked for not doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so the, for me, it was also very difficult because I know that in some ways I behaved very badly and that I didn't help myself because I was I was a bit different from other other girls. Um, I was a little bit different from other people just because of the kind of the life that I had led up until that point. I had not been raised in England. The first time I, you know, I went to an English school, I was um, eight. I was eight turning nine. Um, and up until that point, I had spent very little time in England at all. Yeah. I'd, I'd led, you know, a, a completely different life, interacting with completely different people. And like you as well, I was suddenly interacting with people who came from, for the most part, quite wealthy backgrounds, um, which was very different to who I had previously been sort of, sort of at school with, which was a lot of missionary kids, um, you know, as we were called, <laughs> we were called, uh, you know, the army brats or the oil brats, um, <laughs> depending yeah. on what your parents did. And it was a very different situation, very different people, very different kind of culture. Um, and I, I did, I got bullied and I would snap out in response. And I certainly didn't help myself, but I don't think I deserved the mockery that I got. But at the same time, um, I also got a reputation for myself because I went from one school where it was it was all about punch-ups. <laughs> and if and if <laughs> you settled things with fists and then everything was finished and so I went from that to suddenly being in this completely different school and I remember at one point I somehow I got circled by a group of girls because there was an argument and they were all taking this other person's side and I was circled it was like a pack of wolves and I got genuinely like really agitated so I punched one of them because that's, you know, that's what you did. Because as far as I was concerned, I was being circled because I was about to have the the shit beaten out of me. <laughs> yeah. so, so I punched her and she started to cry. And I was like, wait, what? What are you <laughs> doing? This is how So, so yeah, I think that definitely had an effect. Um, school is difficult. 
And teenagers are really difficult. It's difficult being a teenager. It is difficult living with other teenagers. <laughs> Especially Definitely. if you have to live with them full time. Yeah. Um, I will say that after... I think when I got to be 14 and I was heading into the fourth form. It was mm. We had forms. We didn't have classes. <laughs> the fourth form. The fourth form and fifth form. Um, when we were so you'd picked your GCSEs and you were started to really sort of focus in that way. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, um, it stopped being a kind of you're an outsider, and mm-hmm. most I, I think most of the class actually sort of either passively liked me or actively liked me, mm. even though I always said exactly what I thought. <laughs> um, I'd have no qualms about telling you what I thought about you. And I, you know, was really into sports, even though I wasn't terribly good, let's be honest. And that I was really, I really enjoyed the academic stuff. And I didn't want to get involved in sort of the gossip or the drama. Mm. Um, And weirdly, the fact that I'd been like that since I was 11 um, earned me quite a bit of respect. And suddenly people were kind of like, yeah, I actually like Jules, she's fun, kind of thing. (laughs) To to the point where if I wasn't there, one or or two of the people who started, who didn't, who genuinely didn't like me and started slagging me off by my back, um, a few of the others would turn around and then have a go at them for it. I found out about this later. It was really bizarre. So I think it's as you say it's very difficult when you put yeah you put a put a pack of very disparate individuals together you put them in a uniform you try and make them behave in a uniform manner but they're mm-hmm. not all the same people they're not going to respond to the same stimuli in the same way no. and they're going to try and find ways of asserting themselves in some sort of hierarchy because that's what humans do so that you know it, it i'm not saying school's a failed experiment it's not it's just a case of Doing that and then adding Christianity was kind of a recipe for disaster. <laughs> but weirdly, once you get past that initial surge of sort of hormones, ah, who's who's the top bitch kind of thing, mm. um, and people started acting a bit more like, yeah, we can't really be bothered with this this crap. So 14, 15, I don't know if it's the same now, but 14, 15, most of them were kind of like, yeah, I think I might have grown out of this. Bored of it now. Yeah, I found I'd just get on. <laughs> I, I found that as I sort of got into sort of doing my A levels, so you know, as I got into sort of seventeen, eighteen, the whole dynamic changed. Actually, and I I kind of enjoyed my last sort of couple of years at school because of that. Because I think everyone just suddenly, uh, I think also the fact that we're all focusing, and then everyone who was in the class was kind of interested in the same thing, even if they were different people. And we could appreciate one another's strengths and, you know, help out with one another's weaknesses. And that was actually quite refreshing. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I think it is that initial thing. But, yeah, for me, it was the anything above the age of sort of you get to 11 and (laughs) between 11 and 14 was hell. (laughs) Yeah, it's the the gloves are off, the claws are out. And if you're someone who's always dealt quite what you see is what you get and you know honestly with people then suddenly it's a real culture shock yeah i think the other thing is that because of the sudden surge in hormones and stuff like that which definitely doesn't help you have a lot of feelings and you don't really know what to do with them and so we can be incredibly mean to one another and we can also be very defensive, which is that like, okay, well, I've been categorised as this, therefore everything else, I'm going to just be really rude about everything else. 
I was really judgmental about other people's music choices when I was in school. And looking back now, I'm like, don't be such a snob, little Madeleine. <laughs> Calm down. If they want to listen to Rihanna, let them listen to Rihanna. What's wrong with that? You might even like some Rihanna songs. Stop it. <laughs> it's something that I have to remind myself. I'm not on Tumblr very often, but if I see something on Tumblr or Twitter or whatever, and the author of the post that's made me go, hang on a second is a very young person i have to then remember i was very opinionated as a teenager as well i'm yeah. still quite opinionated about things it's just i don't think my opinion is the only one in the world that's worth listening to anymore yeah if you didn't have opinions about things this show would not still be going no this is true <laughs> so we're coming forward for to our sixth year on the strength of my opinion and yours as well in fairness um but, but yeah, it's, uh, and you know, I'm willing to change my opinion. I think the thing is being a teenager and, you know, desperately trying to grab a sense of identity for yourself mm. can mean that if anyone challenges something that makes up part of that identity can make your entire world feel very shaky. Yeah. And so you lash out. Um, so in your case, it would have been the sort of, you know, the music taste thing because you knew better. Yeah. Um, in my case, it would have been, okay, well, you don't really read books, therefore you're not really worth listening to kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which, you know, is unfair. And, you know, I acknowledge that's unfair now. There's also the fact that I think that a lot of these books that you did, you know, particularly YA and children's fiction now, a lot of it is designed for people who obviously read books, which is why if you're a bookish person, you're the good person. If you're not, then they're the evil person, which just, if you've internalised that kind of message, that's just going to add to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that is clearly something that should start to be rebalanced. Mm. I, I agree with that. Um, although that would be a difficult sell because the people who read books are quite often bookish people and yeah. they like to see the side bookish character being someone who is a force for goodness. Yeah. So making them the villain might be a bit... You'll get some people on board, but probably not everyone. The point is that you can have a bookish person be the villain and you can have a bookish <laughs> person be the, be the hero. It's possible. So, yeah. Um, so as... You know, Madeline and I, both having been teenage girls and both having had varying degrees of, oh God, four years of hell at school before we got to the stage where everyone just chilled the fuck out a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's definitely some girl-on-girl -girl hate happening. And you can write thousands of books saying, yes, everyone got on fine together. There was never any conflict. and We all shared lip gloss in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make it true. Yeah. And pretending that it's not there is a real issue because the person reading that or the person internalising that will think that there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Or that they... This is the other thing is, for me, it really got out, was this message of, you you did school wrong. You missed out on something. Um, everyone else had a great time. You were... You were the one who was the freak because you couldn't have these relationships that everyone is supposed to have. Yeah. Um, which also added to that idea of you missed your chance to have a good life and now everything is going to be downhill, or which even. is not good. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, or even, God's all forbid, that they really were the best years of your life and as Madeline said, you've squandered them. Yeah. Um, because you weren't doing the right sort of things at the right sort of time. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So basically, the whole Mean Girls thing is not a... Uh, eh. The mean girls thing is not a worthless trope, because no. if you do it right, it examines various things. So, yeah. for instance, the teenage feeling of alienation and the need to belong. 
Yeah. As teenagers, at some point, all of us will feel like we are the only person like us in the universe, almost like we're an example of a separate species and we do not know how to connect with the rest of the human race. Yeah. That is normal for a teenager. Yeah, absolutely. The next thing, of course, is that it allows you to examine what you're willing to do for acceptance and how hard it is to break that mould. That's a big one for me because there are girls who are, you know, they, they just go through an arsehole phase. Or maybe they're arseholes all their lives. Some people don't change because they don't ask themselves questions. Um, and these people who are arseholes who then sort of focus on bullying other people to make themselves feel better or just because, you know, for whatever reason, that school or whatever isn't a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, they draw other people into them. The people who are insecure, a bit frightened, and maybe just want to be where the where the popular person is because they need to belong somewhere. It's yeah. very hard to be one of those people and break away from that. I mean, it's very hard to be the person who's kind of like, I don't fit in and I'm not going to join your little coven um, as well. But I imagine it's really, really hard being someone who isn't really a natural bully or a natural asshole and just kind of get gets drawn into being one of the hyenas. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because for some people as well, it's a matter of survival. You're yeah. either the hyena or you're the prey. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And I think everybody goes through a stage where they will do something that maybe they're not 100% confident in or something that they actually would have considered doing in order to kind of fit in. I remember, this is going to sound so stupid, but I do remember when I was coming going into my secondary school, um, my brother... And then my mother both insisted that I had to wear pumps. He said, because everybody else wears them. You've got to fit in, Madeleine, after the fiasco of the previous school where you had so much difficulty, you have to fit in now. And I didn't want to wear pumps because pumps were incredibly painful to wear. They weren't practical because I liked running around back then. Um, They ruin your heels um i didn't like wearing them i wanted to wear a different kind of shoe um and i think i sort of i managed to get by by having one set of pumps and one set of <laughs> one set of other shoes <laughs> see at my school we had indoor shoes outdoor shoes we had indoor sports shoes basically plimsolls and outdoor shoes basically tennis shoes and we had hockey boots and they all had to be bought from the same retailer and our indoor shoes, I don't know if you've seen them, but basically they are the, the Clark's brown leather sandal type things mm-hmm. with the two big holes cut in the top and the buckle that goes over the bridge of your foot. Yep. And at a certain point, most girls grew out of those. I never grew out of them. I had to wear what we call baby shoes all the way through school up until I was 16. <laughs> because my feet were so small. Oh. <laughs> There's pictures of 16-year-old me wearing these fucking sandal things. Oh. Yeah, I bet that helped. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I think I, I think I was always a roll-into-it person, but, um, yeah. So, um, anyway, going back to our list of things that it can actually help you, this Mean Girls trope can actually help you sort of deconstruct... Um, it, I think one important thing is it's a look at friendships, which ones are worth having and working at, and which ones aren't. Yeah. 
and that is a big thing for a teenage girl. I can't tell you how much it bugs me when I, I read a, a teen fantasy book and the you know, I, I expect one or two girls to really sort of click and get on and just be fine. Mm-hmm. I don't expect a group of six to just click and get on and be fine and never have any conflict. That makes no sense for teenage girls at all. Yeah, I think the thing is you can have a large group of friends, but when you're all sort of becoming friends, there's going to be different levels. Not everyone's going to be the same level of friendship. Within a friendship group, you will usually have one person who's your best friend and then someone whom you sort of only kind of vaguely know. You know, if, if even if there's no conflict, there's going to be levels of, you know, of friendship, people who you prioritise, people who you like better. Um, and within that friendship group, there are going to be, be people who have friends outside of that friendship group as well. Definitely. definitely. Um, and, you know, that's that's a relatively healthy example. You also have a group, say you've got five girls, one of them will decide that she is the best friend of all of them and the others are not allowed to be best friends with each other, otherwise there is hell to pay. I've seen that dynamic a lot in real life. Yeah. I've also seen the dynamic where you have a group of people and one of them feels like another is their best friend um, and then gets very jealous when that person maybe has another kind of best friend instead. Yeah. Um, For Um, reference preference guys you can have many many best friends and they're they're still genuinely your very dear best friend yeah (laughs) i think the problem is the term best friend is is deceptive because it's like you can only have one (laughs) it does sound exclusive i mean i've got a friend who has been friends with me or rather i've been friends with him we've been friends with each other that's a better way of putting it we've been friends together um (laughs) since play school that's where i met him and he's a year older than me and I would still describe him as a best friend. We don't hang out much. I haven't actually seen him in person for years, but we talk occasionally. But he's a very, very good friend. And he actually knows me back from a time before I think any of my other friends actually know me. Hmm. Um, and we've always sort of called each other best friends, even though, you know, we don't hang out together all the time or at all very much lately because he's gone off and had family and kids and stuff. And obviously I didn't want that. So, um so yeah, you can definitely. You're right. It sounds exclusive, but you can absolutely have your best friend. You do this with, and your best friend you do that with. And one does not have to negate the other. Yeah. They, then you get people like me who are like, "You are all my best friends. I'm going to create a Facebook chat, and you're all going to get along." <laughs> yeah, I mean that can work as long as you've you've picked a few reasonable people to be best friends with. <laughs> if you've picked a few real drama queens, that's not going to go well for you. <laughs> What is is this bullshit? (laughs) You're mine, I tell you. (laughs) I have a a, a Facebook group called The Coven of Nerds, um, and I use it exclusively just to, almost exclusively just to post memes. (laughs) I'm like, hey guys, I saw this video. (laughs) No context. (laughs) Every hour of the day. And Jules is obviously a member of it. um, And she just has to deal with it. As do the other people who are members of it. <laughs> to be fair, everybody else posts memes as well. Yeah. So, you know, in fairness. <laughs> um, yeah, in narrative terms, it also introduces tension and conflict, which if you were telling a story, you will need one or two of those things, or one or other, or both. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing is that, for me, true friendship... Um, involves some kind of every relationship involves some kind of conflict if there's no kind of conflict 
in any kind of relationship, particularly a long-term relationship, so, you know, we're talking about years here, then actually the friendship is kind of vanilla. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe like, there why is... Why do you care? Yeah, maybe there is some amazing friendship out there where two people have never disagreed. I mean, I don't think Jules and I have ever had an argument. I think we've... I think I think Jules has gotten pissed off with me a couple of times, and we've definitely disagreed on stuff. But... Um, but yeah, I, I, the point is that we're two individual people. She's still my best friend. And we are stronger because of the fact that we don't agree on everything. We have different likes, different opinions on certain areas. That you might not suspect it in Dissecting Dragons, because we tend to agree on this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, or we come to a point where one of us will say, actually, I can see your point. I don't fully agree, but I can meet you halfway kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, but but yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't be two individual people forming a friendship if you weren't actually two individual people who didn't agree on everything all the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's definitely things that I like that Madeline's kind of like, why do you like that? And there's definitely <laughs> things Madeline likes that I'm like, um, I don't I don't get it. I'm trying, but I, what? <laughs> yeah, it's like Jules, you've got to watch this. It's so good. And Jules is like, eh. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like no. I can see why you like it. <laughs> Is that good enough? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's normal. And particularly then, whenever you have something set in YA, that is going to be even more the case. Friends fight, particularly if they are stuck together. So if, you're, if you've got a crew, for instance, who are all bunkered down together somewhere, that is going to end up with two people fighting. Just because if you put two people together constantly anyway, they will fight eventually. You, They will get annoyed with each other. They will fight about inane things like, why didn't you put, you know, why do you put the dirty dishes on that side of the sink? That's where we put the clean dishes. Put the dirty dishes on the other side of the sink or don't put the wooden spoon in the washing machine. People will fight over ridiculous things and then it'll be like, I hate the way that you chew loudly or I don't like the fact you chew gum um, or I hate the music that you play, etc. It's inevitable. Oh. That was a disturbing flashback to me doing the washing up, and it's like Madeline's been there while I've been doing it, and I'm I'm pretty sure she hasn't ever. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a zoning method for, for washing up. Just you know, fair warning. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've really lost my shit over it yet. <laughs> I did once, out of stress, completely lose my head over washing, like to the point where I actually I was screaming, and then I was like. <laughs> I don't think this is to do with the washing. <laughs> I think like, this is to do straw. with. I think this is to do with some other very personal things. But for some ridiculous reason, I was so annoyed, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that was as an adult. <laughs> and uh, you know, as uncomfortable as that is, that is a normal thing to happen occasionally to pretty much everyone. Yeah. Um, Far be it from that to say that this trope actually allows you to spot genu genuine toxic relationships in real life. And mm. if you can spot them, then you can think about how to get rid of them. And we'll talk about that a bit more in a, in a second. Mm -hmm. Finally, it basically allows you to interrogate your own actions. Um, so it's not just about what other people are doing to you, it's about what you are doing. Um, so that very important question that all people should ask themselves <laughs> at some point, which is, are, am I an asshole? 
Are you an asshole? It's a very good question to ask yourself. Um, if you always think it's someone else's fault, the common denominator in that scenario is you. So maybe you're the one who's at fault. Um, or perhaps you just have a really bad track record of picking friends. Um, <laughs> that can happen too. But then there's yeah. actually something, there's still something at fault with you in that how are you, why are you picking these people? Why are you, uh, why are you doing this? Um, if you are constantly sort of attracting people, and I'm not saying it's your fault. For instance, if you if you ended up in lots of abusive or toxic relationships, you need to address why you have ended up in them. And that's not necessarily saying there's something bad about you, but you need to look at why, why that's happened. Um, and it's the other common thing, which was the, uh, all my ex-girlfriends are crazy. Okay, but the common denominator is you then. Um, yeah. Um, so why are you repeating this pattern of behaviour? Yeah, or actually, were you the one who drove them crazy? So it's not about saying you deserve it if you were abused or if you were in a toxic relationship. You don't. No one deserves to be in that kind of situation. Um, I think everybody can be toxic at some point. I think it's it's actually very normal, uh, particularly in teenage years, to, be, to, to sort of have moments where you do things which are toxic, usually unconsciously, um, which you then become conscious of as you're an adult. Um, but yeah, it's basically about understanding your own behaviour and looking back and saying, actually, that was a bit manipulative of me back then. Um, yeah. I should I should improve that kind of behaviour. Or, God, I was actually being a bit snobbish back then. I was being rude back then. Um, it's very good to kind of look back and assess your own behaviour. Um, as well. And that's why this trope can actually be very, very important in helping people recognise where they might be doing something wrong or where they might make changes which... for the positive. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's take a quick look at toxic friends. Mm. Um, I say a quick look because, to be honest, when we start listing a few things, people are going to go, oh my god, that was like so-and-so who I was friends with ten years ago or what have you. Because <laughs> at some point, every one of you will have attracted a toxic friend, unless you're very, very lucky, because it, it, it just happens that way. And sometimes yeah. it's a case of this isn't even a toxic person, it's just that you two are toxic together. Yeah, and there might also be instances where you look around and go, oh wow, I was the toxic friend back yeah. then. Um, absolutely. And again, there's look, it's not a good thing to be, but recognising it just means that you can improve things going forward. So, what is a toxic friend? Jules, take us through the basics. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, Basically, it's an unbalanced friendship. So, if someone else is all take and you are all give, then that's, that's already toxic. That could just be thoughtlessness. Mm -hmm. But if you then challenge them on that behaviour and nothing really changes, then you can start thinking, well, actually, maybe they're toxic. Yeah. Um, if you've got a friend who always manipulates you into getting their own way, they know you're a people pleaser. They know that you hate saying no. I mean, that that's the thing. Your friend knows you and knows where your weaknesses are and is willing to exploit them. That's very toxic. Yeah. Um, or someone who talks shit about you behind your back. If they're your friend, if they're a loved one, they should be defending you behind your back. Even if they think you... I mean, they might say to your face, okay, you're acting like an asshole," And that is a legitimate thing for a friend to tell you if you are acting like an asshole. Yeah. Um, but behind your back, they should be sort of trying to shut that shit down. 
Yeah. I've, at the same time, I do think it's worth mentioning that blind loyalty to friends, um, because we talk, we're talking about toxic friendships. So um, if, for instance, you are in a place where someone is being toxic to you, blind loyalty to them, because you're thinking, I shouldn't talk about them, I shouldn't talk about them to anybody else, um, because that would be a betrayal. That is not a good way forward. If someone is hurting you, um, or you're having difficulties and you feel like you can't talk to them, um, then yeah. that's, that's a sign that there's something bad. But also it's okay to perhaps talk to someone, you know, linked or to someone trust and say, look, I'm having some difficulty with this or I don't like the way they're behaving. Um, that's a, um, there's a big difference between talking, you know, talking smack about somebody (laughs) sorry i believe i said that uh but talk you know (laughs) talking badly about somebody behind their back and talking about somebody to someone you trust um and i think this is the one of the big things is that for some people you think well i've got to always be 100 percent loyal to my friends which can actually create toxic relationships because perhaps you are giving more than they can actually return as well you're encouraging toxic relationships um again that's not to say well it's your fault um but it's a behavior which traps you in certain circles so that's a good thing to recognize definitely um and linked to this is the whole codependency Mm. issue which is something i think people recognize for romantic relationships but don't necessarily recognize for friendships you can get yourself caught in a cycle where you are someone who needs to be needed and this person needs to need somebody and that's not really healthy for either of you um so that's not necessarily being deliberately toxic although it can be Mm. um but that that's not good that's that's two people feeding into a dynamic where you are toxic together um and on on top of that you can have things like um you know (laughs) moving on from that you have someone who likes having you around but doesn't ever really want you to succeed they put you down when you fail they don't build you up when you succeed kind of thing yeah there's a lot of jealousy involved um it's actually normal to feel a bit competitive with your friends because you've picked someone hopefully who is going to make you a better person Hmm. and is going to make you try and work harder and strive for the things you want etc and hopefully you're doing the same for them And if they happen to leapfrog a bit ahead of you, then you you should feel probably a bit miffed. But you shouldn't feel like you need to drag them back down to your level. That's a problem. Yeah, I think there's a big difference between being miffed by the situation, thinking, why not me? Or um, I wish that were me. Whilst not... There's a big difference between when you start to blame the other person for doing better than you. Or for being ahead of you. Or things like that. Um, so yeah it's okay to be a little bit jealous Um, it's okay to use that to sort of drive your ambitions but as Jules says um, it's not okay to start to kind of pick on them and so if for instance you are succeeding and you're actually worried about telling someone else that you've succeeded because you're worried about how they will react you've got to have a look at that relationship and it's completely different if for instance you say okay well this person is currently going through a really difficult time so maybe i'll hold that off for now Um, but if it's a a constantly kind of being worried about i don't want them to find out that i've succeeded where they failed um that's that's not a healthy relationship well i can't share this success with them because their initial reaction is going to be 
oh well there you go again you're so far ahead of me etc and it doesn't even need to be a deliberate teardown kind of thing it can just be kind of a marked lack of enthusiasm <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is it can be quite disheartening yeah. um other things that it's someone who needs to be reassured and complimented all the time i think I mean, that can come from a place of insecurity but if someone is literally just using you to prop themselves up all the time that's not good yeah um the other thing i would say that i think we don't really necessarily explore enough is that you can have abusive friendships and i don't mean abusive in the sense of you're knocking each other about or you know sexually exploiting each other I just mean in the sense of you, you'll have friends who gaslight you, who'll tell mm-hmm. you you didn't say something that you know you did say. Yeah. Or who will say, no, I never agreed to meet you, and they'll stand you up and things. And when that shit happens too much, that is a genuinely toxic friendship. Yeah. And it's it's also friend, friends who, and I say friends, who don't respect your boundaries. Yeah. So if you say, actually, I need to be alone right now, or actually, um, you know... I, I don't want to talk about this with you um, or friends who are breaking into your stuff, looking through your things um, without your permission. Um, or someone who goes and tells someone something you've told them in confidence and very specifically said don't. I think it, this one can be difficult because if you tell someone something whereby they are then worried that your life is in danger Mm -hmm. then i can see why someone might then feel compelled to break that confidence and seek help but if it's just a case of i feel this i'm not ready to confront this person with that and they go behind your back or they start then telling everybody about that and suddenly find out that everybody knows then that's that's someone who is possibly a bit of a gossip but also someone you can't trust yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the the other thing, and, and we'll probably go into it in a little bit more detail, um, is that something else that you need to think about is that it is not your responsibility to be someone's therapist. No. Um, friends help each other out when they are struggling. That is completely natural. That's normal. Um, and, and to be honest, a friend who doesn't want to help you out when you're in when you're in trouble or some kind isn't necessarily going to really be a friend now there might be different things that other people are prepared to do for instance if if you have two people who are really sort of suffering from a mental illness you know they're they're just suffering from depression it might very well be that they say well i'm sorry i can't i can't prop you up right now i can't do this because i need to consider my own mental health that's also fine that's part of having kind of boundaries um so you know there's a difference between sort of blatantly ignoring someone and saying actually i can't be the person to help you through this but supporting one another that is a fairly standard fairly good thing that you want to have in any kind of friendship but at the same time um and this again happens a lot in schools where a lot of people feel like they can't confide in adults because adults won't understand them or that teachers don't care um particularly depending on the kind of school you have, you might not actually have access to good enough, um, you know, resources to actually get the help that you need. So students 
and young people rely on one another. And that's actually not healthy. It is not healthy. You are not a trained professional to be, you know, you're not a trained professional. You're not there to be someone else's shrink, psychiatrist, counsellor, etc. Um, you are there to help support them, but you cannot carry them constantly. You can help them through something, but you cannot carry them constantly. And so someone who continuously is only complaining to you and is never making any positive changes for themselves. So for instance, someone who's just saying, like, I'm feeling really low today, I'm, I'm feeling like I might commit suicide, etc. Things like that constantly to you, but they never want to kind of take any of the, the advice that you're giving them. They never want to make any change. Um, that can become incredibly toxic. And it's not necessarily the fault of the person who is suffering because they might feel like there's no other option. Um, but at the end of the day, you also have situations where people feel like it's their responsibility to be everything to somebody else and that is not going to be healthy. No, it really isn't. Um, so, <laughs> basically... If you have, if you happen to have a toxic friend, then um, yes, you probably should try and confront them about it. And if nothing changes, you may want to sort of dump them. Yeah. Um, or at least till they get their shit together, because they might be very deeply unhappy people deep down, or maybe not so deep down. But you can't fix them, and it isn't your job to fix them. Yeah. Um, it might be. I wouldn't say it's your job. You might feel you want to help them while they fix themselves, and that's perfectly legitimate. Mm -hmm. But if you're constantly the person who is doing the giving and doing the listening, as Madeline said, um, you're going to run out of resources. Nobody's got limited amounts of spoons. No. Unlimited. Sorry, not limited. <laughs> unlimited <laughs> Most people spoons. have limited amounts of spoons. Most people have limited spoons, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, and I, the sad thing is people who are the most toxic in your life are usually the ones who don't actually want to fix themselves otherwise they already would be working on it mm -hmm. yeah I, i'm thinking of someone who was a friend of my sister's and every time she and i happened to cross paths usually when i was with my sister at some sort of event she would do something to make my sister feel really shit and i would i, I remember one time sort of saying would you like me to accidentally on purpose knock her into the road as she goes out to her car? Um, which, you know, I was saying very tongue-in-cheek, but I kind of half meant at the same time because I was so fed up with this. And of course, my sister was really upset, not by what I'd said so much as by this person humiliating her. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you went to school together, but why are you, you know, the, she does this every single time. This is not an isolated incident. Every time I see her, she acts like this towards you. And you kind of suck it up. Why do you do it? Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes it's having someone on the outside say, no, this, this, you should not be putting up with this. Yeah. It is kind of necessary. Um, this, that, that's a kind of, if they're constantly making you feel that bad, then that's someone you need to sort of remove gently from your life. Yeah. And this again comes down to loyalty to friends. When I was growing up, I had this insane sense of loyalty to friends um, in, in that what you you would have to endure to, you know, what you should endure. Friend, friendship is forever. Um, and then even when there are abuses of that, um, 
And that actually meant that I I forged some codependent relationships, which weren't healthy, um, because again of the situation that I was in. And ultimately, there was no one on the outside who I was willing to listen to. Um, to kind of correct that because I had this sense of what friendship was supposed to be, often because of the way that it was being depicted in fiction and stuff like that. I was like, this is how the friendships in schools are sort of meant to work. This is how people are supposed to be. Um, And everyone else is an enemy and an outlier, Um, which is, again, not healthy. It's not good. Um, It's why it's so important to have it to have this trope be used as something which is a discussion point and a point of self-discovery and self-questioning and to have a healthy idea of what friendship is and what toxic people look like. Um, Also to sort of catch yourself if you find yourself veering towards those kinds of behaviours, but to recognise when those behaviours are being used against you. And it wasn't until much later in my life that I I was actually, I was sort of flat out told to my face by someone I love that um, you don't owe the people anything. You don't owe them anything. If you don't like being with them, you don't have to be with them. Yeah. And it was like this, oh, (laughs) oh, wow. And it, it seems so obvious in hindsight, doesn't it? Yeah. And yet it's not obvious because there is this sort of, well, you know, ride or die thing. Um, and there are absolutely people who I am ride or die with, as in I could turn up and uh, let's say Madeline's digging a grave and she could just hand me an extra shovel and I'd, I'd go, okay, right, where do you want it kind of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I can be very ride or die in my friendships. But, so, you know... If I turned up to a toxic friend like that, um, I'd be kind of like, no, you're on your own, bitch, kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to say that in this example, I really like the fact that it is not obvious whether I'm digging up a grave or I'm I'm making a grave for somebody. No comment. (laughs) No comment at all. Just pulling a Frankenstein. (laughs) Jules, Um, build this body with me. (laughs) We're going to make a person. It's alive. Okay. Um, okay. And here, here is a shitty truth for you. Uh, if you are a youngster, I mean, you don't have to figure out the entire friendship thing as a teenager, and you probably no. won't. But having some ideas, are good, definitely, yes. because you'll go into an, you'll go into being an adult friend in a way that is healthier. Mm-hmm. However, you get to your twenties, and that's when people start making big choices about their lives, and it means that people end up going on different paths. So they might grow apart you might find that you're not a priority with some people or, you know, you stop being a priority for them before they stop being a priority for you. And it really sucks. But one of the shitty things about your 20s is that sometimes you just part ways, sometimes for a while, sometimes permanently. Yeah. Um, And it, it is just a painful part of the process. And it's perfectly normal because you will make friends who are more in tune with the life you're living now. Yeah. Um, And again, some people are actively toxic and need to be delicately excised from your life. Yeah, absolutely. I I did not mean that to sound like, you know, poison (laughs) or anything. (laughs) It sounded like you were performing an exorcism. (laughs) Gentle exorcism. Be gone, demon. Please. finish your crumpets and then go Um, (laughs) I feel like we're sort of channeling Aziraphale there a little bit Um, banish them with crumpets it's so weird (laughs) 
gentle, gentle exorcism. Um, yeah, it's one of the amazing things about being in your 20s and sort of, yeah, and then you get into your 30s and things like that, um, that I have friends who I thought I would just, this, this would be us forever. Um, and we just don't speak anymore. I have friends who I sort of didn't fall out with, but sort of was dis distanced from over a time who then I've reconnected with and we're stronger than ever. And I have friends now, well, I mean, Jules, I met while I was in my 20s. And, you know, it used to be that I, I thought, well, how could you ever have a, like a, such a strong friend with someone, such a strong friendship with someone whom you haven't known for, you know, since your childhood. And like Jules is, Jules is my best friend. The, the, that's it's simple as that. We met in our twenties. I had no conception that she even existed before that. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's and been had existed it, for quite some time. You before had existed that. before that. <laughs> I'm the outlier. Um, <laughs> I just want to say, um, first of all, thank you. That's really sweet. I feel the same. And second of all, you're still in your twenties. Can I just <laughs> remind you? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> the moral of the story is get yourself an older friend because you will always feel better <laughs> about your age. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I feel like with Jules, though, I'm like, Jules, you know so much. Help me. <laughs> I am your humble apprentice. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, yes, come closer, my child. I remember those years. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be shut in an, shut in an oven and eaten, Jules. You never can tell. <laughs> I haven't really devolved to cannibalism yet, I'd like to point out. Okay, so let's finish off with a few case studies. Okay. Um, so basically... Basically, there's a strong leaning towards simple black and white answers in fiction. And that's fiction as in books, as in TV series and things. And it seems to be something that's sort of grown up in the last 10 to 12 years mm -hmm. um, or become more exacerbated in that time. And yeah. I have to say, I'm against it. It feels really lazy to me and I, I see harmful effects from it. Yeah. I want to see nuanced portrayals, even if that means you're reading something and you don't get to feel comfortable all the way through reading it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, it's not just reading, it's watching as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, you, you do want to have some very, very good kind of portrayals of that. Something which is actually ultimately going to be helpful as well as engaging. You know, something that's good. Because I think the other thing is that it's just really boring as well. <laughs> it is. It is. If everyone's sort of, oh, friendship is... No, no, okay. Friendship is magic kind of thing. There's never any conflict. I mean, to be honest, even My Little Pony, they kind of don't get on half the time. So <laughs> that should really tell you something. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think the problem is, and this is something, again, it starts with stuff that's created for teenage girls. Mm -hmm. Something is thrown out because it it doesn't portray everyone getting along together or it doesn't yeah. portray something you'll have one very very vocal person who'll say i don't like this because and everyone's like oh gosh i guess we shouldn't like it either and it's almost like a classic example of the entire mean girls trope <laughs> whereby yeah. everyone has to agree with this one person because clearly they know what they're talking about um instead of having contradictory 
opinions and things and saying well actually friendship's a messy thing because it's a human relationship yeah absolutely um and again it's just about basically identifying properly identifying how it's been done because as we've said there are definitely cases where it's lazy and it's harmful and that should be called out um that doesn't mean that other people can't read it and still enjoy it um but there are also cases where actually it's been done properly and people have misidentified it um so i want to give one really good example um that i've seen of something which actually portrays two two female characters who really don't get along um but who kind of find their way um and that is if you watch um avatar the last airbender the character of toph and katara the characters of toph and katara are polar opposites in pretty much everything um And that does actually put some strain in kind of the way that they interact. And they do end up fighting sometimes. At one point, they have this huge falling out, um, which is only natural because they're two very, very different people. Never mind the fact they're girls. They're two incredibly different people who are who are now living together, who are interacting with one another and who have very different standards and approaches to things. Um, and the thing I like about it is that this is not about the attention of a guy. This is not about the, you know, about one person succeeding in something else. No, it's just two people who they have the same ultimate goal, but they're very, very different. And they do, they have their rocky moments, they have their arguments, um, they have their different differences of opinions, and they still manage to come together over the things that they do ultimately care about. And for me, that was a really, really good depiction of a of of a strong of a strong solid friendship between two characters who don't necessarily always get along yeah um well, you should guess this one from the title but my case study for this um which definitely shows girl on girl hate but doesn't have a nuanced way is mean girls the film mm, yeah um which is based on a book called queen bees and wannabes by rosalind wiseman and the screenplay was done by tina fey tina fey is hilarious and also very, very sharp when it comes to particularly things like women's issues. Mm-hmm. But she can deliver. she's always very good at delivering them in a way that doesn't make them preachy, but makes you stop and think. It's kind of like, yeah, that's funny, but actually underneath that's a really good point. And obviously in Mean Girls, you have Katie, who has been homeschooled her entire life. She grew up with zoologist parents in South Africa. She's had a very, very different upbringing. So kind of like Madeline's sort of semi-nomadic early childhood. (laughs) But she's had it all the way up to being 16. And then suddenly she is released into the American school system, which has to be one hell of a shock. Mm. And she's floundering. But she does actually make a couple of friends who are, you know, pretty good friends. They They would be good friends for her until but she, and she's quite naive the girl she's made friends with suggests that she infiltrates the popular girl group yeah because she's an unknown quantity she's quite pretty etc and she does and through becoming one of the mean girls she genuinely becomes a mean girl and then from there the entire film is a deconstruction of why girls act this way together and mm-hmm. how ridiculous it is it is to take the experimentation of teenage power like that to this level Mm. and what i really like about that film is yes firstly you have tina fey playing the teacher at some point saying 
you know, you've you've got to stop calling each other bitches and whores because it just makes it okay for boys to call you bitches and whores, which yeah. is an excellent point that, you know, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with those words. I'll come to that in a moment. But um, so there's that. And then you get to the end of the film and it's kind of resolved. It's very much like my experience of getting to sort of fourth form and -hmm. people saying, I'm too old for this shit and people chilling the fuck out a bit. And so, you know, the the mean girl group has split up. You know, they call them the plastics. They've split up. Um, Regina George, who is the one who makes everyone, including teachers, feel bullied, has started channeling her rage into lacrosse and it really suits her. Um, the others have gone off and found their own thing. Katie has actually managed to rescue her floundering friendship with the, the two who befriended her initially. Mm-hmm. And they're now in a state where they're older, they're wiser, and they're willing to look out for the next lot of plastics that come up kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I like that because it's not just a case of this is one person against all these mean, popular, pretty girls. It's kind of like, no, you're all the same. It's just you formed this toxic little cluster. Yeah. And if you got the chance to be on the inside, you could become just like them. Yeah. And I think for me, Mean Girls is actually a really, really good movie because it also touches on the fact that as individuals, they're actually not that bad. No. Um, you know, as a it's as a collective they start to behave in certain ways because they all prop up one another's poor behaviour. Yeah. Um, and Regina George is a bully. That's the really important thing to recognise. She is a bully. Um, and the others basically prop up her behaviour and echo her behaviour. Um, she clearly has her own things that she needs to be dealing with, um, which again, she does. Um, but the problem was that it, it was the, the bunch of them together was the toxic side of things. And it was toxic for literally everybody. As individuals, though, they are actually successful on their own. Yeah, definitely. Um, the last thing I will say about that is the whole the whole that it's prescriptive and not very useful to say that people cannot use certain words. I mean, there are some words where, for example, the N word, where you probably shouldn't be using them. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, it's it's unequivocal. But then there are things like if you are part of that group, um, the word bitch. By the way, you can pry out of my cold dead hands. Because I will use that for pretty much anyone who is acting, in my opinion, like a bitch. Including myself. Yes. Um, But, yes, you should not be using those words in a hateful way. But there is a difference between uh, speaking to someone you know really, really well and going, oh, yeah, you bitch kind of thing. And you mean it in a loving way, believe it or not. It's not The word itself does not carry the harm. It's the intention. It's intention that makes the weapon, always. And I think it's something we're in danger of losing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Again, it's not about the word. It's it's about the intention. Um, And that line in in Mean Girls is is a really good way of actually talking about... Actually, it's to do with intention. And I think particularly when they're talking about saying bitch and whore, that was actually all about that. Um, That was about basically pulling other girls down. Yeah, definitely. It was absolute. In that context, it's kind of like you're saying those words in order to demean somebody else. Yeah, you're, it's it's kind of two ends of the spectrum, which is like you're you're a bitch, um, or you're you're a whore. You're loose, so therefore you're not worthy of male attention. Um, you're a bitch because you're high maintenance or difficult to deal with, etc. Um, 
yeah, it's it's they're being used in a very particular context to mean very particular kind of things, um, and that with that intention in mind. So yeah, it's not actually about the words there. It's it's about their the context that they're being used in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so we've talked about toxic friendships. I do just want to mention. Um, as my case study for this one, The Craft, the original film, not the terrible remake, which kind mm-hmm. of missed the point of the original film. Um, the great thing about The Craft is that initially it starts off as a relatively well-balanced female friendship. So Sarah ends up being... Sarah, who's actually got some pretty severe emotional problems she needs to get past, mm-hmm. ends up going to a Catholic school. She has my sympathies. And getting drawn into this group of young witches um, because she has a natural aptitude towards it anyway and it you you watch it and you watch those four girls together initially when they're sort of it's all joy and they're exploring the craft together and it's like yeah that's kind of really what that's like Mm -hmm. but you the whole idea of perfect love and perfect trust you absolutely need that because when that goes sour and you're using something like the craft genuinely the craft then things can get very, very bad indeed kind of thing. absolutely. And I think the thing that that film really does is show that every single person who forms that particular four-person coven has some serious issues that they need to work beyond. And where it starts to go wrong is that they stop trying to work towards it and the power becomes an end in and of itself. Yeah. So you end up, again, with this quite toxic little knot and Sarah desperately trying to leave the coven yeah. And obviously you have um, uh, Nancy, who is the ringleader, the one who is clearly quite a damaged person and um, then starts playing some very nasty games kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think another my case study for this is actually <laughs> I Have the Silence, Jules's book. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to mention it because I had such strong feelings about Beth in that book um, and Beth and Emmeline's friendship because it hit so hard because this was a toxic friendship where Emmeline was trying to stay faithful and loyal to to this old friendship that she'd had with this girl Um, and this girl was abusing that in a lot of ways and it it struck so true I got I was so invested (laughs) I felt like I was there I was so angry as well I was like Emmeline, you deserve better friends. And she gets them. She gets them. Um, but uh, I just remember getting yeah. angry messages from you at God knows what o'clock in the morning. And I think you were in France at the time as well. <laughs> I was in Switzerland. Switzerland. I was in Switzerland, yeah. And I'd be like, Jules, I hate Beth. I hope she dies in a fire. <laughs> it was closed. Yeah, <laughs> it was close. Um yeah, so I did. I did like that, and ultimately, I the thing I also liked about it is that Beth wasn't evil; she was self-centered. Yeah, she was incredibly self-centered, and this was born on the fact that she had such a small sort of very little value for herself. You know, she she had some real difficulties with her own kind of image and the way that she was and jealousy, which had overtaken her to the point of literally trying to sacrifice her friend, um, which is 
and almost her sister, which is very, very dangerous, obviously, for a number of reasons. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I have to say, of all the books that I've written, that's the one I look back on and that dynamic still makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I, it feels true to me, but at the same time I'm thinking, could I have changed it? Could I have made her a more positive person? Because up until that point, you don't see M in a positive relationship with, with other female characters, really. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh God, is it too much? I'm not like the other girls, because that obviously wasn't what I was trying to do. Um, but I I think ultimately I stand by it, because there are times for pretty much anyone who has a female-female friendship where you come back and you, your friend is a completely different person and maybe they were your best friend before but things have changed and yeah. it's not necessarily you that's changed it, it can be them or maybe you've both changed and moved apart and want different things yeah absolutely um that's normal natural um but yeah no i i really really liked that book and it, it i was so invested in it because i felt like this this could be my life in a way um, less ghosts, less less ghosts, uh, less, ghosts. <laughs> less cults. <laughs> less ghosts, less... yeah, less of the the really nasty shit. The, the, yeah, <laughs> the music, the music course, the uh... <laughs> the not great friendships. Uh, yeah. So okay, so of course, on the flip side of that, healthy friendships with internal and continuous conflict do exist. As you know, I've given. An example of that in terms of, you know, Avatar, The Last Airbender. But we also get it in in a lot of team-up kinds of films or books. So it happens in Avengers. It happens in Star Wars. I mean, Avengers, they went big on that with Civil War, which I still don't agree with because I think the Avengers movies ultimately missed out on a trick which was that they went too far into the conflict thing instead of actually saying no can we actually have them getting along a little bit more can we have some more found family please can they not all be fighting constantly (laughs) i agree with that i think they followed the the whole sort of testosterone route a little bit too much there when i know they then resolved it again later yeah you can't ever say that the avengers as a team always get on because they're always arguing Right mm-hmm. up until there seems to be an outsider, and then they're kind of all like staring hostilely <laughs> at the outsider kind of thing. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, you can absolutely do that, and you can have these internal conflicts. Uh, I particularly like it when there's the internal conflicts, which is, but regardless, at the end of the day, even if we're you know we're fighting, even if we're at each other's throats about some things, against the larger force, against the larger enemy, we will defend one another to the death you know we will stand beside one another we will fight and perhaps sometimes that can be difficult perhaps sometimes teams even break up and then come back together again um but that's that's a healthy part of friendship not that i would say anything about the way that the avengers conducted themselves with one another was necessarily healthy (laughs) um until maybe like the last film where they all (laughs) they all kind of had their boundaries a little bit more (laughs) sort of Um, yeah um, finally, you can have best friendships that undergo, undergo periods of terrible strain. Oh, daredevil. I think, it, yeah, in this example, the, the Netflix series of Daredevil, um, where you have Matt Murdock and Foggy Nelson sort of almost almost having a proper best friendship breakup yeah. um, is an excellent example. And yeah. if you've ever had a friendship that's that's gone through that, you really feel it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I, I mean, the only time in season one that you really see Matt Murdock cry, as an adult Matt Murdock, is when he th- he he sort of has this argument with Foggy, and yeah. Foggy kind of walks out on him. Um, and I really liked that because Matt Murdock can be quite a, is a very masculine character, if you know what I mean. He follows a lot of these sort of these tropes, um, and it actually looked at. Yeah, this is this is two people who who love each other, who are best friends. They really, really love each other. They really care about each other, and the fact that they care about each other is what's causing this derision between them, because Foggy can't emotionally deal with what Matt Murdock is doing and the risk that he's putting himself through. It's too much for him. Um, so yeah, I think that worked very, very well. Yeah, definitely. So, in conclusion, it's important to take time to explore nuance and not just assume that all the friends agree all the time, otherwise it's toxic and hateful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, again, it's about identifying when it's being used lazily and when it's actually being used to create proper conflict and interesting character conflict and is in keeping with the characters as well. Um and one way or another, that's going to be helpful, or it's going to be uh, less helpful. So yeah, consider the nuance of things, and consider this in your own writing as well. If everyone is just constantly getting along completely all the time, um, that's not going to be very realistic. It might not be a very interesting book either. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that being said, they don't all have to constantly be fighting. They can, for the most part, get along. Yeah, definitely. That, that's I mean, also absolutely going, fine. <laughs> why, why are they friends? They don't exactly, really yeah. except fight. <laughs> yeah, I think for some people there's like a dividing line. Like I know, I know someone who really couldn't get into Six of Crows because she's like, none of them are nice to each other. <laughs> I can't get behind it. They all hate each other. <laughs> I was told this was found family. <laughs> And I can get that a little bit. It it was on the edge, I think, between being a little bit too much for me, but it was just right. So yeah. Before we go, of course, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week. And Jules, I believe you've got a particularly interesting one for us this week. (laughs) Yes, I've just finished an audio arc of The Dangerous Kingdom of Love by Neil Blackmore. Um, I highly recommend this. It's the gay... Shakespearean style set um, romp of intrigue and politics that you didn't know you needed in your life. <laughs> Featuring Francis Bacon, James I, and uh, Villas, who is a who was a favourite of James I, and what may have happened. Um, I will say we don't actually know that Francis Bacon was gay, although he didn't get married or have children, which was unusual at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously Henry VIII had just made it very, very illegal to be a sodomite, as they would have said. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting. It's relatively accurate, historically speaking, and it's, it's just very fun. It's funny and witty and tragic and just an incredibly good book and i do recommend the audiobook as well because the narrator just got it you know sometimes narrators just really get what they're reading mm-hmm. and oh, he was really there so um yeah excellent excellent book okay i i'm i'm already i'm so excited <laughs> <laughs> okay fantastic well 
for now guys we'll say thanks very much for listening do get in touch with us tell us what you think about this trope are there areas where you think it's been done successfully do you disagree with us do you agree with us let us know remember you can get in touch with us via our facebook our twitter or our tumblr both individually or through the dissecting dragons page for now we'll say thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next week yeah thanks and goodbye bye You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast. <laughs>